hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, welcome back to another edition of Common Sense Investing. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. You know, the music keeps playing and the market keeps dancing to higher and higher levels. The band is playing this soothing melody of positive earnings surprises and the potential for tax reform. Did you know that it's estimated that if corporate taxes are reduced to 20%, it could translate into an increase in S&P 500 earnings of more than 10% and and have more than twice the effect on small businesses. I've had a bias towards small and mid-sized companies here for the past year because I see much more in the way of value as compared to the larger mega cap companies. Some of these consumer staple product companies are trading at 25 times earnings, and these are low single-digit growers over the long term. It's just crazy. I'll tell you, given the lofty valuations of the market, we're going to need these good earnings reports to continue if we want to move the needle higher. The theme of our little dance party is global growth and easy fiscal policy, which should underpin the market. But be prepared. We could get your garden variety type 5 or 10% correction at any time. And in my opinion, if we do get one, it should probably be bought. In some, I think the market continues down the path it's on. Keep in mind that the later stages of the business cycle is synonymous with impressive gains for the S&P 500. I think the trouble starts later next year, but we'll lay all that out in our annual outlook, the one that we're doing in January. So stay tuned for details on that. For now, focus on the fundamentals, stay conservative, and most definitely, most definitely stay value oriented. I don't want to waste any time. So let me give you a stock that I just purchased over the last few weeks. I own it in my portfolio. It's Snap-on, symbol SNA. It's trading around 160, pays a little bit less than a 2% dividend. I'll give you the symbol again. It's SNA. And the reason I'm doing that is because I don't want you to buy Snapchat. That's SNAP. Don't make that mistake. We're talking about Snap-on, S-N-A. Snap-on is the one that has earnings. It generates free cash flow, pays a dividend, and has a good balance sheet. Snapchat has none of these. Snap-on makes tools and diagnostics equipment for the professional mechanic. You've probably seen one of their vans as you're driving around. The majority of their business, about 70% of it, is auto-related, and the rest is geared towards aircraft, oil and gas, those types of things. They also have a financing arm, which does pretty well, too. On the auto side of things, it's the aging fleet that drives demand for auto repair. The average car on the road in the U.S. is over 11 years old, and what happens is new cars are produced, and the older cars get scrapped, and by my guesstimate, we're adding about a half million new cars to the fleet every year, which is great for Snap-on, 
because newer cars, well, they're more complex and they require new tools and technologies. If you look at the value line, and I'll take a little sidetrack here, people always ask me why I talk about value line, and it's really simple. I can look at it and it gives me 15 years, 15 years of financial data at a glance. So I can look at it pretty quickly and see if I want to go further with my research. Another reason I talk about it here and in seminars is because it's accessible to everybody. You don't need a $2,000 a month subscription to Bloomberg or something like that to get the information that you need. You can go right down to your local library and look at their copy of Value Line. That's why I do it, because everyone can get it. It's accessible. So, if you go down to the library and get the value line out and you look at it for SNA, snap on, you'll see that they've grown their earnings on average at about 17% per year for the last 10 years and almost 19.5% per year on average for the last five years. Those are pretty impressive numbers. They're growing at almost 20% per year for the last five years. Astounding. And this year, they should generate north of $10 a share in free cash flow and close to $11 next year. If you did the math, that's darn near a 7% free cash flow yield. They have a great balance sheet. Value Line gives them an A+. That's the highest you can get. It's a quality company. And I tell you, balance sheets do matter. They get a 95 on a scale of one to 100, 100 being a best. They get a 95 for earnings predictability. And I would argue you want to pay a little bit more for a predictable company as opposed to one that isn't all that predictable. And they get a two for safety. So these are all high marks across the board. And it's a company that I want to own. Like I said, I actually do own it because I eat my own cooking. One other thing I'll point out is that the officers and directors own almost 4% of the company. So they are clearly going to care what happens in the future and they'll manage towards the future, not for next quarter. The stock is trading at about 160, which means it's trading at about 14 times next year's earnings, which is a little bit lower than the average over the last 15 years. Not at the bottom, but lower than average over the last 15 years. And on a relative basis, relative to the value line universe, on a relative basis, it's near the bottom of the range. I think it's a good quality company trading at a reasonable price And I think it's a buy under 160. But as always, you need to do your own research and see if it's appropriate for your portfolio. You don't buy something because you saw it in a magazine, heard it on a podcast. You know the drill. Do your own research. Okay, we need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk about why analysts really aren't that good. If you have something you want us to address on future shows, email me at podcast at XMLFG. I always say it twice. It's podcast, which is plural, at XMLFG. This is Eric Whiteman, and we are back in a moment. You've worked hard. You've saved and invested along the way. 
Now you want to make sure all your hard work pays off so you can do what matters most to you, whether it's giving back to your community or ensuring a safe, comfortable retirement. It's never too late to start planning. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. If you want someone who can help you navigate the investment landscape, then please visit us at our website, xmlfg.com, or call us at 301-770-5234. Welcome back to Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman. You know by now, because you've been listening, you know that I'm a conservative value investor. And what that means is that I focus on the bottoms up approach and I don't try and time the market. I focus on the fundamentals and let that drive my investment decisions. We do our work. And if you're managing your own money, you need to do your work too. Sounds like common sense, right? But I tell you, there are a lot of folks out there whose strategy is to buy whatever is on a focus list or best ideas list. And advisors do it too. I tell you, the number would surprise you. They're relying on sell-side analysts. And to me, there's a lot of things wrong with that. Primarily because the evidence, not surprisingly, shows that for the most part, analysts buy-sell recommendations are poorly correlated with future returns. The folks at BCA, the bank credit analysts, they did some nice work on this subject, really nice work. And here are five things I want you to keep in mind when it comes to analyst recommendation. Analysts, they're good people, but as it turns out, large cap stocks that analysts strongly recommend generally underperform. If it's on the focus list, it's probably not going to do any better than something that's not on the focus list. So don't just blindly buy what's on the list. It's not a great strategy. Remember, we're long-term investors. Analysts usually are not. They're looking at their 12-month price target. We're looking much further down the road. Number two, bearish recommendations on small cap stocks, they turn out to be correct more often than not seems like the small cap folks have a better idea of what's going on. Maybe that's because the companies are, I don't want to say easier to analyze, but they're probably less moving parts than some big, huge conglomerate. That's number two. Number three, recently upgraded stocks tend to do well for the next couple of months, while the ones that are recently downgraded, well, they tend to do poorly over the next couple of months. So the trend is, is when stock gets upgraded, it's probably going to go up for the next couple of months. And the ones that are just downgraded, they're probably going to go down over the next couple of months. And I would imagine a lot of this has to do with people readjusting right? It comes off the focus list. Well, it's not on there anymore. So I'm going to sell out. Who knows? Number four, stocks that have a wide dispersion of analyst earnings estimates, meaning that the analysts all are all over the place as far as earnings are concerned. If there's a wide dispersion there, the stock tends to underperform. 
it's probably a more risky type company if earnings estimates are all over the place, right? It's a less predictable company. And I would argue you pay less for less predictable companies. And the last one, companies whose share price is above the mean analyst target price tend to outperform. So in other words, if the stock price or the the analyst has a stock target price of 100 on a stock and it's at 105, well, it tends to continue higher. I guess analysts are just slow to adjusting. If you're managing your own portfolio, you need to think for yourself. Use common sense and do your homework. Following a focus list is not such a great idea. Now, over the last few days, I've had a number of number of people ask me about General Electric, GE. And this show isn't meant to talk about the sell side. And I rarely, if ever, do talk about the sell side or selling stocks because I'm not trying to manage your portfolio from afar. This show is meant to give you ideas on the buy side, things that you can take away and research. But I'm going to talk about General Electric today because people have been asking me, well, do I buy it? Do I sell it? What do I do? Here's my take. As many of you know, General Electric has been in the process of selling off its financial units to get back to its industrial roots. And this has been going on for the last couple of years. Now, earnings came out and the third uh, third quarter earnings release had revenue beating expectations, right? Oh, terrific. Revenues beat. But they missed by a country mile on the earnings. They ended up trimming full year estimates from 160 170 range down to 105, 110. That was a big miss. Kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, analyst estimates and focus lists. Anyhow, General Electric just drastically cut their full year estimates. They had been previously hoping to hit $2 by next year, but I tell you what, that won't happen. It should be noted that this was the first quarter for the new CEO, John Flannery, and he's expected to give his view on GE next month after he's done reviewing all the GE business units. I imagine he'll lay out his plans for the future then. I might just want to wait and see what he has to say. The biggest struggles for them lately, General Electric, has been their investments in oil and gas and their power unit, which is about 50% lower versus last year. In my opinion, the power unit was just mismanaged. They overspent. But the good news is that they replaced a good deal of the management team there. And oil and gas, well, oil and gas will come back when oil and gas comes back. Basically, what happened was they made the wrong investment at the wrong time. And I would think, and I've said this before on the podcast, I think oil is on the slow track back to 60. And there's a lot of reasons for that. So that's a positive, if I'm right. Now, investors, well, they're mostly worried about the sustainability of the dividend now. Year to date, cash flow sits at about $2 billion. And they have this internal goal of hitting $7 billion, down from an original goal of 12 to 14. So drastically lower here too. So if the goal is met, that goal of $7 billion, if that is met, it's still going to be short of the $8 billion needed to fund the current dividend. Yeah, they could always go to the debt market. They could tighten their belts. They could sell some units, which they probably will. will. 
But I think it's clear that the market is already pricing in a cut to the dividend. If they cut the dividend from the current 92 cents a year for the full year, cut it in half to say 45 cents, GE is still going to yield more than the market. Keep that in mind. My guess is that if they earn a dollar, in other words, they miss earnings yet again because they lowered it from down to 105 to 110. Let's say they miss again and they earn a dollar and they cut the dividend in half, which means the stock would be trading at roughly 22 times earnings, paying roughly a 2.2% dividend. I think about that and I say, you know what? That's probably a little bit expensive because there are so many things up in the air. We don't know where they're going. And I tell you, the stock has already been beaten down to a good degree. And the bottom line is, is I'm not a buyer on this debt. There's just too much there. It's a little too expensive. But we'll see next month when Flannery comes out and they, he lays out his future plan for, for General Electric. We'll wait and see. But again, I'm not a buyer on that on this dip. So that's all we have time for today. We'll be back next Wednesday with fresh ideas. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. The opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the host and may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Information provided should not be construed as personalized investment advice or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or engage in a particular investment strategy. You should consult your personal financial advisor before investing to make sure an investment is appropriate for your situation. Furthermore, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax or legal advice. We suggest that you discuss your specific situation with a qualified tax or legal advisor. Investing strategies such as asset allocation, diversification, or rebalancing do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. There are no guarantees that a portfolio employing these or any other strategy will outperform a portfolio that does not engage in such strategies. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.